Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez with you as always. So glad that you are tuning into another episode as we continue our study in the life and teaching of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So today is podcast 64, and the title today is How to Confront a Christian Who Wronged You. So we're going to be looking at Matthew 18, 15 through 35, and this is one of those passages where I'm already, I'm assuming as you're listening, you're like, whoa, what's, what are we going to talk about? Or yeah, I know Matthew 18. You know, a lot of times when people say, you got to refer them to Matthew 18. That's where if your brother sins against you, go and tell them his fault. So if you have had any situation regarding uh, a, a brother or sister who has wronged you and and you've you, or you've been church disciplined or you've had issues or you're currently going through something right now, uh, I feel for you. I just want to say as I look at this passage, I've had to, as a pastor for many years, have had to open this particular passage, talk to couples, talk to families, talk to various different people in the in the church life. Uh, I've had people come to me and have to uh, confront me on some things. And it's been good, and it's also been bad. I've gained a brother and a sister in the process of my Christian walk, and I've unfortunately have lost some as well. And so if you're anything like me, and you've lived life, and you've been in the church for quite some time, I've been a pastor for over 20 years. So listen, this uh, is near and dear to me, and my hope and prayer as I go through this uh, particular podcast with you uh, today is to really focus on the context and see what Jesus is saying and making sure that you and I walk away with a heart of forgiveness. That's the key because sadly, uh, we don't oftentimes see that. So let's jump right into it because there's so much that we need to cover. So this, the first event we're gonna be looking at is dealing with a sinful brother or sister according to Matthew 18, 15 through 20. And then we're going to be looking at verses 21 through 35, where Jesus gives us parable about forgiveness. Now, the reason why I'm connecting both of these passages um, in the same episode is because it's so important contextually that we don't negate one over the other. In Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven." For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. All right, so I just want to give you uh, a great commentary that uh, breaks us down. This is the Tyndale Concise Bible Commentary. And, and notice what they say regarding this particular passage. Uh, the commentary writes, In, in uh, Matthew 18, 15 through 17, Jesus outlined four steps for dealing with a believing brother who is embroiled in sin. One, personal confrontation of the sinner, verse 15. Two, private conference with witnesses in order to verify both sides of the argument, verse 16. Three, public announcement to the church, verse 17. And four, exclusion from fellowship, verse 17. 
At each step, even after step four, opportunity was provided for repentance and restoration. This section on judgment and discipline is followed by one of the great passages on forgiveness in Matthew 18, 21 through 35. The ultimate purpose of church discipline was restoration and forgiveness, end quote. Well said. So you see the breakdown of these four progressive stages when it comes to dealing with a sinful brother or a sinful sister. So let's jump right into it to understand the context of scripture. So here in verse 15, notice that Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell. Literally in Greek, this word tell means to test, to go search out uh, he or she of their fault. This Greek word fault here means to cross-examine them, to prove their error and to rebuke between you and him alone. So notice the privacy of this. Notice the intention here is it's seeking them out to cross-examine. Anytime you have a cross-examination, there's going to be a conversation on both sides. And as you have that kind of discussion, you do see where each other's coming from. Again, if the whole intent is to try to reconcile the situation and understand, you know, if you're laying out like, when you offended me, this is how I felt, this is what you said to me, and if somebody says, well, that's not what I really meant to say, and you say, well, what do you mean when you didn't really mean to say this, but you did say it, you know, and you start having this conversation, when you finally come to the point where you say, you know what, you're right, I did say that, and I was upset, and I shouldn't have said that now, uh, I kind of buried it, I didn't think it was a big deal, I didn't realize how much it hurt you, but then you you resolve it. That's winning your brother, not winning the argument, not trying to prove your point and showing them that, look, I came here to rebuke you, to prove you wrong. I want you to be sorrowful. I want you to pay for what you did to me. No, of course, that's not the attitude. Notice this word gained. It's, it's, it's earning a profit from this investment. You sought them out. You were willing to hear them, to share with them why you came to him in the first place respectfully, that's an investment because ultimately we are to invest in lives. And when we do that, we will be hurt by one another. And if you really care and love that individual, you'll be willing to have these hard conversations so that you continue to not just earn the respect of one another and gain your brother or your sister in fellowship, but you grow together. That's the key thing. So when you go back to Matthew 18, verse 1, that kind of sparked this whole thing, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and you tie this back into what we're discussing right now in verses 15 through 20, pride is the root of all of this. When you and I have that kind of pride, we think we're better than others, we will offend, we will hurt people. But this is also linked to Matthew 18, 12 through 14, remember about the lost sheep. When people do things that will harm us or hurt us. And we need to make the effort like God does to pursue the lost sheep. These are people who are troublemakers, if you will, or troubled lives. So the first step in all of this, as we're told, is personal confrontation. That phrase, go and tell him his fault. It's better to address a problem privately to resolve the matter. And when you do that, we will avoid gossip. We will avoid rumors and we will avoid quarrels. So think about in your own life when people do not do it privately, when they don't do it to make the investment to gain a brother or sister. Think about the gossip and rumors and quarrels that come as a result. Now, this phrase, you have gained your brother, as I mentioned before, this it, it, it's earning a profit from investment. This is the ultimate objective that God wants you and I to invest in the lives of people, as I mentioned before. But this word gained also implies a beautiful achievement. Isn't that amazing? 
See, what do we ultimately want to achieve when we confront someone who is a quote unquote wronged us? Because I think oftentimes what it's become, my friends, is that you were offended, that you felt left out or because of your insecurities or whatever the case may be, fear of rejection, uh, you want to take it out on somebody. You took something the wrong way. Now, that's not to excuse because on the other side, we do have a lot of people out there who are just hurting people. They say hurtful things. They purposely and intentionally avoid people. Um, and, it's, and it's happening a lot. And as a pastor, I've sat with so many people, young and old, about these kind of issues. And for the most part, what do people do? They do nothing. They may complain about it. See, and that's the point. They'll share what's going on between them and this other person and what supposedly this person did to them to other people. And then we do it in a way of like, well, I need to get your take on this. Or, you know, we kind of talk about these kind of things. And sadly, uh, it just produces more gossip rumors and quarrels. And th it's a beautiful achievement when we go to someone privately. Like Proverbs 25, 9 through 10 says, Argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another secret. Least he who hears you bring shame upon you and your ill repute have no end. So that's great advice. One commentary writes, keep the matter private. It says, approach the person who sinned and speak with him alone. It is possible that he does not even realize what he has done, or even if he did it deliberately, your own attitude of submission and love will help him to repent and apologize. Above all else, go to him with the idea of winning your brother, not winning an argument. It is possible to win the argument and lose your brother. We must have a spirit of meekness and gentleness when we seek to restore brother or sister, Galatians 6.1. We must not go about condemning the offender or spreading gossip. We must lovingly seek to help him in the same way we would want him to help us if the situation were reversed. The word restore in Galatians 6.1 is a Greek medical word that means to set a broken bone. Think of the patience and the tenderness that requires. Well said. So that's the key thing is we need to keep it private, my friends. And if someone has wronged you and they did not keep it private, you know, that's telling. That doesn't mean that we do the same. That means that we uh, are to keep, keep the matter even more private because it's escalating and you don't want to add to that. Second Thessalonians 3, 14 through 15 writes, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So once again, we are not about offending people in the process, but gaining people in the process. Notice verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established. That word established means to be validated. It means to set forth to make way to get right with God. Isn't that, isn't that amazing when you see it in context? So if he doesn't listen, we say, okay, we're not just going to say, okay, forget you then. Take it along, Take this matter uh, to another witness, this, it says here, by evidence of two or three witnesses, so that way we can get right with God, that we need to have validation here. So the second step is impartial arbitration. If the two individuals, the offender and the offended, if they're unable to reconcile whatever is going on, then, then the Bible's telling us here from Jesus himself that we need to bring in one or two more honorable Christians as the next step. Now, this is important because witnesses play a role of validating. See, that's the key word. This word charge may be established. Remember, you cross-examine in the very first step privately, 
And and it's when you go to um, this impartial arbitration, you're not gossiping because the whole intent, remember this word established, is to set forth a way to get right with God. That's the whole purpose here. And by going to two honorable uh, uh, Christians, uh, these witnesses will play a role to help validate or to invalidate accusations. Because remember, when confrontation happens, accusations oftentimes come as a result. But this is not, again, to prove your case, to prove that you're right, and then this person hurts you and wronged you and you want to punish them. It, it's the hopefulness here, remember, is for restoration. Now, now, the Jews understood this because Jewish law, according to the book of Deuteronomy, required at least two witnesses to confirm one's testimony. So remember, this all started with one's testimony by going to someone who they believe have, has offended them, right or wrong, okay? So now in, 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 next, in this verse 17 now, if, if this person still refuses to listen, now this word listen here is, is, is a, there's an unwillingness to hear now. So this person literally is saying, I don't want to have anything to do with you. This is also a form of disobedience here in the Greek. So if this person doesn't want to listen to them, now not just to you, but to these people who are trying to validate to have this impartial arbitration, you now need to go to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, and this word church means congregation or interacting membership, let this person be as a Gentile, literally a pagan and a tax collector. So if the offender still remains unrepentant, then this third step is this church admonition. So again, when you go back from the very beginning in context, we have personal confrontation privately, which leads to impartial arbitration. If that still doesn't uh, reconcile the situation, then church admonition. Now, I will say, to be honest, and again, Jesus says this, and this is what we're supposed to do, but rarely does this happen at this stage. After all of this, if the offender refuses to repent, then the fourth and final step is corporate exclusion. Now, of course, from time to time, and it's sad, but we're dealing with sinful people. We're all sinful. We're all, we all fall short of the glory of God. Pride, again, is the root of all this. We will have these things, but it's so sad that restoration isn't really the end goal here. And oftentimes when the church is involved, it's a mess. Uh, it's a mess, and it's so sad when the offender who refuses to listen and to reconcile uh, gets to a place where they're no longer welcome to fellowship in the church. And they're no longer welcome to fellowship until they what? Until they admit, until they seek for forgiveness uh, with this offended person. And then in the process, remember, not only have they offended the person in the beginning, whether they were aware of it or not, but it progressed to the point where they've offended a lot more people. And they've, and they've offended people in a public way now. So now it just bleeds over from a private matter into a public matter. And so now... Not only do they need to get right with the offended person that it started with and these impartial arbiters, but now they have to make sure that they get right with the church because of this heart of disobedience. And if that really happens, then it really shows that there's a pattern of unrighteous behavior with this individual and it becomes very messy. Now, I want to say this before we look at this term Gentile and tax collector. What happens if you go to a person and they've, you know, because they've wronged you and you share your case at cross-examination and you've kind of openly, respectfully kind of rebuked the whole thing, and they said, I don't think that's true, and then you guys can agree to bring in two objective people uh, to hear your cases, to validate one uh, and the other, and to kind of move it to a path of reconciliation. That doesn't tend to work. And now you're at this third stage now of church admonition, but you go to two different churches. What do you do? Well, this is what I would say to that. Remember, we are the body of Christ. Assuming this is a brother and a sister in the Lord, 
then each person uh, should respect one another's uh, church leadership and say, um, can we bring the case, this matter to uh, a pastor in your church and I'll go get a pastor in my church. Now, this is not about taking sides, you know, like, you know, Patriots versus, you know, the Dolphins or anything like that. This is a matter of saying we both have issues and we need you guys to come into the situation and help us. And that's the representative of both the local church. Now, I've had to do that. And sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't. But the system in which Jesus lays out here does work. When hearts uh, are, are broken and they seek to be amended, it will work. God has his way of doing that. This is about mercy and grace. This isn't about hearing sides and taking sides. This is a matter of hearing sides and taking it to the Lord and being on his side of the matter. And that's about forgiveness. Now, this Gentile and tax collector situation, this is just a metaphor. It's a Jewish expression that's often used by Jews for unbelievers and ostracism. So remember when you go back to 2 Thessalonians 3, 14, and 15, that we're not to regard them as an enemy, but warn them as a brother. So that's the effort that we take in the, in the beginning. But if they refuse in all accounts, at all different steps and levels, they reject it, then it's obvious that this person doesn't say that they're not Christian, but they're not walking in the Lord. They don't want to win over a brother. They don't want to be reconciled. One commentary writes, the aim must be to win your brother over restoration, not punishment. But see, this person is punishing you in the process. That's not a friend in the end. Are they a brother and sister in the Christ, like I said? Um, perhaps. I, don't, I mean, again, we're just kind of using generalizations, but clearly their sanctification is really messed up that they're not pursuing the holiness of God because when you pursue the holiness of God, you're seeking forgiveness. And when you're seeking forgiveness and you're asking God to forgive you, we're told in scripture that we are to have forgiveness in our hearts because how can our father forgive us if we're not willing to forgive others? It's a, it's the commandment that we're told to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbors ourselves. Those are connected. You can't have one without the other. So this commentary continues right to the end. The minimum of publicity must be used. The erring brother must be approached alone or at most with one or two others. Only if that fails is it necessary to involve the church, the local congregation. It is to be expected that the offender will listen to the united conviction of his fellow disciples. If he does not, the only course open remains a severing of this fellowship, though presumably still with the hope, notice, with the hope that this will jolt him into repentance and restoration, end quote. So I think that's well said. So again, these are tough situations. They don't always turn out the way that we'd like them to. Right now, as I'm, I'm going through this passage with you, I'm thinking of so many uh, people in my life, friends of mine that I love dearly who are in these situations and there's no reconciliation. They're praying for that. Now, what you pray that they don't uh, uh, get in the process is a bitter heart, but that they grow closer to God in the process. Now, what's interesting, as I mentioned earlier, but I just wanna make sure that we, we cover it before I move uh, any further, is that the term church doesn't necessarily imply pastors or elders, okay? The organism of the church, of course, didn't exist at that time. So in the Jewish mind, the disciples weren't understanding it like that. The way that they took the word church, this congregation, this gathering, was how they grew up in local synagogues. So they were very familiar with this congregational discipline. And so ultimately, they were, if you will, the elders, the leaders that were in charge of the people in that town. So what I'd like to do here before we go any further is to give you two other passages of scripture that are linked to Matthew 18 later on. So taking the teachings of Jesus and seeing now as the early church does come, what did the apostles have to say about that? And so Paul in the pastoral epistles, he actually gives 
uh, two other references. I gave you the one Second Thessalonians, but now lo- notice what he says in Titus 3, 10 through 11. He says, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So that's connected right to Matthew 18 that we just read. But notice Paul also says in 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 26, and this is a passage that I oftentimes bring up about our approach in the process of these steps in Matthew 18. He says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed corals. So we talked about that earlier. We don't want to be in the quarreling thing. We don't want to have gossipy things. And so Paul's talking about this to Timothy in the church. He says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Now notice it says here, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. So remember, as we confront and as we get uh, impartial arbitration involved and the church admonition involved, it's ultimately God who leads to repentance, right? Someone to repentance. It's ultimately God who leads that person to the knowledge of the truth, not the church per se, not getting the right person to convince the other person to get right with you. No, God may perhaps grant the repentance leading to a knowledge of truth and notice, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So when someone rejects reconciliation, that person is in the snare of the devil. That person has been captured by Satan to do his will. So just remember that ultimately it's not against flesh and blood as we know, but ultimately it's against the principalities of the power of this of this of this of this world and and that's a scary thought but it's a true one it's a biblical understanding of what it's at stake now verse 18 this is a very interesting uh verse that's oftentimes matter of fact these next two verses i'm going to give to you next three verses i should say uh, have been taken way out of context not only what we just read has been taken way out of context when confronting a brother or sister but these uh, verses after have been taken out of context as well. Jesus said, truly I say to you, whatever you bind, that literally means exercise authority over something on earth, it will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, literally in Greek, permit, allow to exercise that authority on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What is he saying? Jesus was giving his disciples the authority from heaven to resolve disciplinary issues. You go back to Matthew 16, verse 19, it's the same thing about opening the gate. One commentary says the power to prohibit and to allow here in Matthew 18, verse 18, was granted by Jesus in connection with decisions concerning community, purity, and discipline. Notice that the power to prohibit and allow in the similar verse of Matthew 16, verse 19, mean lock and open, was given with respect to entrance into the community of Christ. So God honors as we exercise his authority and grace and truth he honors that on earth it will be honored in heaven and if we we permit and allow that type of authority to be exercised it will be as well in heaven meaning god is moving and we need to tap into where he is going and he is about reconciliation so we need to exercise that kind of authority and it's not our authority again it's not our word against uh, another person's word It's coming in the name of Christ and the authority of Christ and saying, this is what God requires of his people. That's what he's saying here. So then verses 19, 20, again, I say to you, if two or three 
uh, agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So what do we oftentimes think this means? Prayer. Well, I have news uh, for you. If you think that that's the case, it doesn't. The context here, as we just read, has to do with church discipline. So you remember the whole thing, my friends, is about agreement, is about coming together and agreeing, not prayer. As, as a church seeks to discipline one of its own, the church must be sensitive to seek God's help on the matter. And whatever a church allows inside it, and, and uh, whatever a church allows inside its walls must first be permitted by God in heaven. That's the church authority. Church authority doesn't come from man. Church authority comes from God. So when two of you agree on earth about anything that they ask, when you come and say, hey, we need to reconcile the situation. We need to come together. You know what? I did wrong you and you you wronged me and we're going to seek reconciliation. And if you have impartial arbitration involved, you have church admonition involved and both parties seek for that reconciliation uh, and you gather in the name of Jesus, he will be among that. Christ has given us a ministry of reconciliation and so it is our duty, it is our sole duty to make sure that we can reconcile with people around us. If God has amended that with us, if we were once separated from him, and now we have been restored to him through his son, Jesus Christ, we are to take that love of Christ, bared on the cross, and shown through the resurrection of Christ to the lives of other people that are dead around us. We don't want to be causing death in the life of people. We don't want to be causing division. We want to bring life and peace. So whatever division you're going through, my friends, look at this passage of scripture. Take a hard look at it. Have a convicted heart. Have a humble heart. But have a heart who's willing to be amended to people who've wronged you. I know oftentimes uh, as a human being, it's in our nature that we become defensive. Uh, we don't want to be rejected again. We can make excuses or we can write it off because we're afraid. Don't let fear cripple you. Turn to the Lord. And if you need to, seek counsel from a wise source, you need to do that. But make sure that you keep it in confidence and that you, it doesn't go public because you don't want to undermine what God is doing. And you certainly, in the process as you do that, you don't want to be jeopardizing or assuming the intentions of the other person who may have wronged you. You want to go to them and hear from the source directly. That's the key. So we'll pick things up again next week in Matthew 18, 21 through 35 as we continue our study about this forgiveness and look at this parable that Jesus gives because this really explains uh, the love that God has for us. And hopefully you and I, as we, are, as we go through that parable, that we'd be inspired to say, God, give me that same kind of love to have for other people. So I love you, my friends. Thank you for listening. And until the next episode, keep standing strong in the Lord. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at StandStrongMinistries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the Word of God.